Good morning, church. Well, you guys had a lot of stuff going on today. Um, I could see why he, like, he was like, all right, I can't do this one thing. Um, and uh, I, I noticed, I, I happen to notice that this is uh, the second time I've been here, and, and both times uh, your pastor and, and vicar here, and I feel, like, I feel like you guys don't trust me. You know, it's like, it's like, well, we better make sure he says something good. You know, well, I'll try. Um, anyway, uh, I'm happy to be back and, and uh, help you guys out and, and give him a break. Uh, if you don't mind, um, just pray before we get started. <clears throat> um, Father God, uh, I have one prayer up here all the time, Lord, uh, that I would decrease and that you would increase, oh, oh God. I pray that uh, your will is being done up here, Lord, as, as I, I, I try to convey your word to your people. And in that, Lord, I pray that uh, whatever needs to be remembered, it would be remembered, and whatever needs to be forgotten, it would be forgotten. That they wouldn't see me here, Lord, but they would see you and your word uh, and be encouraged by you. And Lord, I pray that uh, your people would be encouraged today and that your word would, be go, would go forth and that you would be glorified by all of it. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so... I understand, well, last week your pastor talked about um, justification. So if I can ask you a question, what is justification? How are you justified? Are you justified by what you do or by everything that Christ did for you? Justification is by faith, but could you have that faith on your own? What caused you to believe it? What switched your mind to to make you go from unbeliever to believer. Well, you'd probably all agree with me that, that it's all a work of God. This is a monergistic faith, meaning God is always doing the work required to save us, to keep us. It shows in his earliest promise to Abraham when he made a covenant with him in Genesis 15. He causes Abraham to fall asleep, or I don't know, maybe Abraham just fell asleep, which wouldn't surprise me because we usually have a hard time living up to God's, uh, to our side of any promise that God uh, has with us. Either way, God passed through the sacrifices that he put in place without Abraham, basically affirming he alone will keep the covenant, this promise. He will make it happen. God's always done the work to save us, always. So why would we think God's not doing the work in sanctification as well? Now, if I'm going to be honest with you, I, I, I'm not sure if I like your pastor right now, I'm kidding, of course, but it's just that, to be honest, I'm, I'm a lot more comfortable talking about what he talked about last week, about justification. I, I love the application of, of Christ's life on our lives as a once and for all work. I love the hope that it brings, knowing that even though we screw it all up, we can still rest in a future waiting for us, a future where we're better than we could ever be in our present. But here we are, talking about sanctification. So I thought the best way to begin that is maybe... Uh, with some definitions. For example, one definition states, the believer participates with the Holy Spirit in a process of transformation that continues until glorification. The goal of sanctification is progressive conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. In other words, we, we kind of join together with God on this journey of being more conformed to him in our attitudes and behaviors. It's kind of like God's spirit is there, but we're making sure that we do the good works that, that honor him. You know, we, we keep our end of the bargain. 
kind of an over oversimplification, but um, either way, it's not my favorite understanding. Here's another one. This is the definition of how theologian Martin Luther uh, viewed sanctification. Sanctification is a continual process of God. I already like that better. It's based on the finality of justification, where as a result of daily faith, the Holy Spirit is operative in a believer's life, which purifies and frees the believers, the believer for good works, operating within the community of believers, the church where the word and sacraments are present. Here, sanctification seems like a constant washing by the Holy Spirit. We're not so much concerned with being sanctified, we're simply trusting that God is sanctifying us just as we trust he's justified us and made us holy. This gives us freedom to, to love and care for others in a variety of ways without having to measure our progress. Theologian Gerhard Ferdi put it like this, sanctification is thus simply the art of getting used to our justification. It's, it's a life lived in anticipation of the res resurrection. I like that, it's pretty simple. It's like someone entered you in a race that you can't lose, and you just have to catch up to the win at the end. Now, when we take the time to actually think about it, getting the theology of sanctification right is hard. It's hard because there's always a, a tug of war going on within us. Uh, most of us are, are mature believers here, I, I assume, and, and we get that we're saved by the work of Christ, but we still feel, we still feel like we have to do something. And gratitude, of course, but do something to prove ourselves worthy of that fully justified life. This is the entire fight of Paul in the book of Galatians. Paul has to wrestle against the Judaizers' teaching, who have, come to, uh, who have come after him preaching a different salvation, one that you have to hold on to by your actions and by your behavior. They're preaching a hope found in works. Listen to Galatians 3, 1 through 5. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun this by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law, by hearing with faith. So, so imagine your pastor is up here right now. It's probably not hard. And I wouldn't be here. He's giving you the goods. He's doing a much better job up here than I am, but he's giving you the best gospel message that you ever heard. It's a vivid, it's a full picture. If you've ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, some of the imagery was so much deeper and fuller than any depiction we ever had before. It really made what Christ did for us come alive in ways that we never imagined. Pastor Dan is painting that kind of picture for you right now. This was the kind of picture Paul had painted for the Galatians before the Judaizers came along. He said it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. That was the picture painted. It was like they had been there and seen it for themselves. This is why Paul uses this language, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? There's shock over what's happening. There's desperation in Paul's words. Because here's the deal about sanctification. If we get it wrong, we're going to get all of it wrong, justification as well. If you have to find some worth in your sanctification to be sure of your position in Christ or in heaven, 
then you've just cheapened that once and for all paid for righteousness that you've been given. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? This is a reference to the Judaizers demanding a circumcision from the Galatians, the majority of whom were Gentiles. And the Galatians are responding positively to this? It must have been some charismatic message. Well, let's ask, how might this scripture speak to us now? Well, societies change, but the problems as a people who are broken and incomplete in this life, they never do. Scripture is always meant to remind us to keep our hope on Christ, to keep our, our hope on his work for us. The Old Testament scriptures were not about how to be the conquerors of the Goliaths in our lives, but how we needed a Christ figure, David, to be our savior over the Goliaths of sin and death. We needed an ark of salvation to keep us afloat and fully protect us and seal us in from the punishment of sin that was on the outside. We look for the pictures of Christ throughout scripture to show us that thread of salvation in all of it. And maybe along the way we find all the places that remind us where we fall short as well. Maybe we see David that wanted Bathsheba and we see our own desires for things that aren't good for us. Maybe we see the rich young ruler in the New Testament and that he has that one thing that he's unwilling to, to let go of and deep down we, we kind of get it. And maybe when we read a passage, uh, this passage of Galatians, we're not super eager to get circumcised or, or follow the other laws and customs that the Judaizers were trying to shoehorn into salvation, but we see something there that reminds us that we sometimes think we can please God with our flesh apart from the Spirit. Maybe we look to something to make us feel like we're in or we belong. Maybe there's a part of us that really wants badly to show God that we're doing it, whatever it is. God helps those who help themselves, right? Now, if I can be honest with you, I know I have an alien righteousness given to me by Christ. I know I'm saved by faith. But I don't ever feel sanctified enough to stand up here and deliver any message to a church. I'm amazed and grateful when anyone is encouraged by anything I have to say. I praise God for it and I thank him for allowing me to, part of, to be a part of any person's journey here. And yet, part of me has to keep reminding myself of my justification because I sometimes think what I do up here proves something to God. Though I feel God's encouragement in the messages that he guides me to, I still feel like I'm being perfected in the flesh and, and when I preach, I have to be back the idea that I've earned my keep in some way. It's that other nature in me fighting against the idea of grace alone. I mean, can't we all have just a bootstrap or two to pick ourselves up by? It would make me feel so much better. Of course, then I read Paul's words in Philippians in chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I am sure of this, that he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So God has begun a work in us, and he will carry it to completion. Well, that first part sounds like justification, and the second part, where we're carried, sounds like sanctification. God will get us to the end of that journey. Not my works, not my preaching up here, not any good works out there, but God alone. God alone always doing the verbs. And then I read from Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you to both, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It almost sounds like it's God's delight for him to work in us our sanctification. 
Now I have to wait a minute. I'm skipping over the harder parts. One verse earlier in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, it says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What about that? Well, to work out means to consider the work of salvation through Christ in light of your sinful struggles and failures. Well, let me ask you, do you do that? How do you do that? We still sin and fail. Every one of us, sometimes pretty regularly. And we still repent. I know this church takes the time to confess and repent collectively. Uh, maybe pastor gives you a quiet moment to bring, uh, to bring God the deeper struggles. And then your pastor declares you forgiven. Welcome to your continued sanctification. It's found in your repentance. It's found in your confession and absolution. It's not just a continual growing towards be, uh, a better behavior. If we're truthful, it sometimes feels like our progress is, you know, one step forward, two steps back. I lost 50 pounds four years ago. I found some of it back. But when I lost it, I, I did it with a lot more bad days than good days. One step forward, two steps back. Your sanctification is also a continual remembrance of your washing and your baptism. Martin Luther said, every time you wash your face, remember your baptism. Why? It's where God sealed you and guaranteed that he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. It's even a continual feeding of the gospel to you in your communion. He says, this is my body and blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember what? What he was about to do at the cross. As our scripture stated today, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. It's never us doing the sanctifying work, but something done to us or given to us. Baptism, communion, the Holy Spirit, carrying us along, reminding us of what God has done, of what Jesus has sacrificed. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6.11. And such were some of you, sinners, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Yes, yes, there are instructions throughout Scripture beckoning us to flee from sin and immorality, to act in a right manner towards others. But if we keep in mind... It's all the sin, not just the, the, the glaring ones that everybody knows are bad, but the respectable ones, too. And what I mean by that is not the ones just done in the middle of the night when you think nobody's watching, but the ones that we sometimes let slide in and, and through our daily lives, pride, envy, discontentment, jealousy. We're sorry for them, but they often find a, a, a quick way back into our daily routines a lot easier than the bigger ones. I feel it at my job, in the court system. I don't, I don't like it when people get ahead, especially when I personally think that I deserve, I deserve it more, or maybe even if I think a, another coworker deserves it more. It's a nice Christian thought, right? That's why sometimes it's hard to feel like we're being sanctified. It's hard to measure it by our own behavior sometimes. And this is why I like that quote from Gerhard Ferdy. I read to you earlier, sanctification is basically getting, uh, basically us getting used to our justification. Here's what that means to me. If you sin today, you're still justified before God. You're still just getting used to your justification. You don't make any excuses for your sin. You repent. You're forgiven. Maybe you even have to deal with the present day consequences of that sin. But then you continue living in the light of that justification. You're being sanctified in light of that. God is moving you towards the position you already have. 
I've been a Christian long enough to have uh, read a few books on, on how to be rid of sin in your life, which is laughable, or just live more godly moral lives, and every book had an angle, something, something they swear is biblical, but surprisingly, no one ever thought of it before until they wrote it in the book. Whatever it is, it's all striving to be better, stronger, maybe more manly like David, or be the perfect Proverbs 31 woman. But if you pay close attention to how it's written, to what the author says about our position before God or any blessings that come as a result of it, you realize it's just more being perfected by the, faith, by, by the flesh. I wish they would write a book that starts with, or at least write more books, that starts with uh, being more freer. Uh, it probably wouldn't sell that well because we like doing and striving. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. The power behind any good work is the grace found in our justification apart from anything we do. It is the power of freedom. The power behind any self-improvement is the freedom found in grace. Grace is the wind at our back, pushing us with very little effort. We consider God and his kindness to us, showing us that same grace and mercy. We know where we've been. We know that the dirt has been washed away by the precious blood of the Lamb. And that's good. Let's look at another scripture. First Thessalonians, uh, Thessalonians 5.23-24. through 24. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. That prayer says it all. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. The verses just prior to this prayer is a litany of good instructions for the church in Thessalonica. Be at peace among yourselves. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Ceasing. You might want to pray without ceasing too, but I'm not sure. Give thanks in all circumstances. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Kind of, that's a lot. So let me ask you this. Are you always at peace? I mean always. Do you pray without ceasing? Do you give thanks in every single circumstance? This one's a biggie. Do you abstain from every form of evil? In other words, do you still sin? It sounds like after all that, they could really use some hope. And you get it with the next, with the next verse. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. He will surely do it. Now as I bring this sermon to a close, which I understand is pastor talk for another half hour, I hope I've made you think scripturally about sanctification. Think, that for, think about that for a second? <laughs> I hope I made you think scripturally about sanctification. In the same way, we shouldn't worry or get worked up about our justification or our imputed righteousness found in the work of Christ alone. We should also now trust that our sanctification is in God's hands as well. It has to be. It has to be because in Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 8, you find Noah 
Noah, who found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. But we find out later in Genesis chapter 9 that he liked to drink a little too much. In fact, I think this is the first record of drunkenness in the Bible. This Noah, who was righteous and found favor in God's eyes. That word favor can be translated as grace. In 1 Samuel 13, 14, God alludes to the soon-to-be King David as a man after God's own heart. We would all strive to be like David, and it's often taught that way. Be like David. Just don't have any lack of self-control. Steal someone's wife, kill her husband, hide a preg- to hide a pregnancy, act like you, didn't do, you did nothing wrong. And also, don't be a bad dad reigning over a dysfunctional family. Then be like David. Then be like a man after God's own heart. Well, let's listen to David's prayer in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. This is a man after God's own heart. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. This man after God's own heart. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let these bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. This is a man after God's own heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. There's your sanctification in God. You, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. But but God's given me a clean heart in Christ. He's renewed my spirit through, through his finished work. And yet we still pray prayers like this. We still come to God with bended knee. And it's not just the Old Testament saints. Paul, the persecutor of the church, Paul, who who Jesus stopped in his tracks and turned him from persecutor to proclaimer. Paul, the writer of nearly half the books of the New Testament. Paul, the encourager of both the gospel of grace and good behavior for the sake of your friends, neighbors, and even your strangers. This same apostle cries out in Romans 7, who will deliver me from this body of sin? This is the cry of a man who knew God and also knew his nature, his old nature, that still wrestled more than 20 years into ministering of the gospel. He struggled, and he would bend a knee to God and say, Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, there is thou for no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Every epistle is a letter that contains encouragement to the churches of the day to lean on the grace-soaked gospel of Jesus Christ and to turn from sin and resist it. And those same letters are for us today. That's why we read them over and over and over again. So I don't know if I was able to, to clearly lay out what sanctification is and why it's important. I can't tell you of all the wondrous stories of of Narnia, like your pastor did last week, which was really great, by the way. Thanks for making me follow that awesome sermon. 
But I can close by telling you what your sanctification will probably look like to, to varying degrees as you, as you walk out your faith here on earth. You're going to read scripture verses like 1 Thessalonians 5 and elsewhere. And out of a grateful heart for the grace given to you, you will try as best as you can. You will try to live in peace with others. Encourage the strugglers. Help the weaker people in and out of the church. Have patience. You will try not to do evil. And of course, rejoice always. And you'll do it because you'll really want to, for all the good reasons. I mean, you know your scripture verses. You know faith without works is dead. And you know that God has provided good works beforehand for you to do, even if the good work is simply taking care of your family, loaning your neighbor some tools, showing kindness to someone in need. But then one day, you're going to find yourself, like Peter, walking on the unsteady waters of your daily life, the storms will come. Maybe you'll have a bad day at work. You had a fight with your spouse. Some other circumstances beyond your control. Maybe something worse. You know you better than I know you. And you'll take your eyes off of the reason why you want to do all the good things. You'll take your eyes off of Jesus. Maybe it happened before you came to church today. We can be a little surprised at how sudden it can happen. Even more surprising is how even the smallest infraction can make you feel this way. You'll feel like you're sinking in your sin and your struggles. That's when Jesus will reach down into your mess the same way he rescues Peter from the waves that are sure to overcome him. He reaches down to you and rescues you from your sins and struggles right in that moment. He tells you, maybe through reading his word, maybe through a friend's compassion or your pastor's proclamation to you, that you are forgiven and God still loves you despite it all and you are still his child. And you're grateful. And you carry on in the faith until that next rescue. Until that next rescue. Sanctification is being reminded that forgiveness is forever and also right now. Sanctification is walking in that wellspring of grace. When we walk in that wellspring of grace, we understand that sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. And we can be sure that he is working out our continual sanctification in the same way that he's worked out our once and for all justification, by his grace, through his son, through the faith that he has gifted you. Uh, would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you again, Lord, for the opportunity to, to, to be a help to a church, O oh God. Uh, it's always a humbling position up here, O oh God. Just as it is to understand, Lord, that you have paid for us, Lord. You have given us your righteousness forever, that we don't have to work at it. We don't have to work at uh, our relationship uh, with you positionally, that it is now and forever. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that in our sanctification, Lord, that you are working it out in us as well, that you are leading us towards better things. Lord, you're also leading us towards forgiveness when we don't always do the better things. And I pray that for this church, Lord, that they would remember that, that they would remember, Lord, that forgiveness is always theirs, even as soon as the most recent thing that they've done to mess up. I know that because I know it for me. And I pray you would bless this church, Lord, bless every person here, every person that could not make it today. Lord, anybody that might be watching uh, online, Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you would bless them. 
uh, you would keep them, Lord, and you would continue to watch over your church, Lord. And I ask you to, um, to bless the pastor here as well, Pastor Dan. I thank you, Lord, that he was able to get away and, and, and uh, be encouraged by, by your word someplace else, Lord. I uh, pray that in Jesus' name. Thank you. Amen. Amen.